0: Tonight's reading comes from 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain, for which I received, I passed on to you. As of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Good evening. Here the a song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Just thinking about that, I conjure up this Jamaican man, he's on the beach and he has no stress, no deadlines. No worries, no picky children to have to feed or run them to a thousand different errands. To him, life is just a, a vacation. Uh, maybe that song just kind of brings back good memories. If only it were just that easy. Just to say, don't worry, be happy. Instead, I think it's more like Ross Broadbure. He writes, many of us are worry We stew we obsess, we gnaw our nails, we twirl our hair, we toss and turn in bed, we sip mail locks, and we sneak valium. Each anxiety is like a hyperactive dog, one author says, in a fenced backyard, madly racing around the perimeter of our skulls until it wears down the grass until it's just a dirt path. What if I lose my job? What if I never get married? What if my child has an accident? Worry never runs out of gas. But Jesus doesn't want you to worry about life. And he says, do not worry. But there are times when those words, they they fall on deaf ears. We don't hear them. Like when the doctor says the word malignant. Or maybe your boss says, we're going to have to restructure things and there's not a space for you anymore. There's one particularly unusual thing about worry. Usually it's not one big thing. It's usually a bunch of little things that get us. And it takes more than just saying don't worry or to say I'm going to stop worrying. There's more to it than that. It's tougher to get rid of than we might think. Comedian Carl Hurley asked his audience one night, you ever try to get rid of a garbage can? He said it's almost impossible. He said I set an old rusty can out on the street one morning totally empty thinking the garbage man would get the hint like this is now garbage Came home the afternoon, they'd put it back up next to the house, next to the empty garbage cans. Next week, I turned it upside down, he said, so they'd see that the bottom has several holes, and, and it's garbage, and they would take it. So he came home the next time, there it was, waiting on him, set up right next to the others. So the next week, he got a sledgehammer, and he beat that thing up. But surely they would understand, now it's time for it to go. When he got home, the end of the day... They had straightened it out and put it next to his other cans. He says, finally, I went to the hardware store and I bought a heavy chain and a padlock and I chained the garbage can to a large tree in the front yard. Sure enough, that night somebody stole it. (laughs) Some things are hard to get rid of and worry falls into that category. Open your Bibles to the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at 10 verses tonight. And kind i of work our way through this section. And I want to begin just by noting what Jesus says here about this life upside down. He says, do not worry. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more important than clothes? Jesus opens this section saying, therefore. And that therefore is, is referring to what we talked about last week what he had just said that don't store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy store your treasures in heaven no man can serve two masters we have to choose what's going to be first in our life and that master he's talking about is referring to god so don't worry about your life what you'll eat what you drink or what you wear and notice he begins with talking about food And again, just to put it in the context here, he's not talking about counting your calories, your carbohydrates, or or fat grams. In this context, he's talking to a group of people that they're not sure where the next meal is coming from. In the wintertime, it was especially uncertain, would their food last through the season? until they could get more because of their climate. And Jesus wants to get across that he will provide for our needs, even something as basic as food. But he doesn't just stop there. He talks about clothing. Don't worry about what you will wear. And so as soon as I say that, I know some of you may be thinking, you know, we spend so much time thinking about what we wear. You know, does it fit? Is it still in style? We open our closet and think, you know, I just wore that, or I I need something else. Jesus says, don't worry about what you wear. You know, there's a lot of reasons, a lot of good reasons to go on a mission trip. When a mission trip is in a third world country, an impoverished area, when you come home from a week or a time away and you open that same closet door and you walk in, things of this earth grow strangely dim. Isn't that true? You see it from a different perspective. And Jesus stresses we shouldn't worry so much about a wardrobe. Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 7, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. So Jesus is saying it. Paul wrote about it. Peter wrote about it. But even in the Old Testament, this is not a new teaching. Ecclesiastes 11.10 says, So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for your youth and vigor are meaningless. See, Jesus says it doesn't really matter what you eat or drink or wear. My heavenly Father will care for you. And he moves from this requirement to give us some reasons why we, we shouldn't worry. And there are a number of reasons, but before we get into those, Let me just kind of ask this question or maybe make sure we understand. There is a difference between worry and concern. And sometimes we still worry, but we'll use the word concern, but we're worrying. And so it's not just a matter of semantics. So the question is, what is the difference between concern and worry? Because there's some things we should be concerned about. But Jesus tells us, do not worry. Well, to me, this is the best explanation. Legitimate concern motivates us to action. But worry paralyzes us. Concern motivates us to action. Let me give you some examples. We're concerned about the car. So you take it to the shop to get it fixed, get it checked on. You have concerns about your health, so you go to your doctor. And then you take the doctor's advice, and you do the exercise, and and you eat healthy. You don't know if you can make ends meet you got a big bill coming. So you go on a drastic budget. You cut corners. You do something. School's about to start. Think about maybe a math test coming up. You're concerned about it. So concerned, you study for it. Legitimate concern motivates action. And sometimes concerns are exaggerated. And in time, they become worries. Because the focus is off of God's provision. I think that's the point Jesus is making. And sometimes when that happens, you know, a simple cough can become cancer or a blemish can become a flesh-eating virus. Maybe you heard about the hypochondriac's tombstone. It just simply read, I told you I was sick. Sometimes we worry over these things. And worry focuses on the uncertain and the uncontrollable. You know, God has given me financial security. but What if the market crashes? What if I lose my job? God has given me health. But well, what if I get sick? God has blessed my marriage, but what if I come home one day and my spouse isn't there? God has promised to protect me and keep me safe, but you know all those wars we hear about in the other parts of the world, what if a terror strikes us again? Someone has compared worrying to revving your car engine while it's in neutral. You'll use all the gas, but it won't get you anywhere. Look back at the text. Matthew 6, look at verse 26 and 27. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? I think Jesus shares five reasons why we shouldn't worry. Not an exhaustive list, but let me just share a couple of things. I think it just teaches us here. Number one, worry accomplishes nothing. It's that paralysis we're talking about. Worry doesn't help. It adds no length to your life, is what Jesus says adds no height to your statue. Worry just focuses on the problem. It focuses on the negative. I've read this several different times. you probably heard it too. Forty percent of the things that we worry about will never happen. Have you heard of that? Forty percent of the things we worry about will never happen. Thirty percent of the time we worry about things in the past that we can't change anyway. Twelve percent of the time we worry about other people's opinions of us, things we can't control anyway. 10% 10% of the time, we worry about our own health, which gets worse when we get stressed thinking about it. 8% are problems that we worry about, which we, can, we may actually soon face. What does all that mean? 92% of the things we worry about never come to pass or we have no control over anyway. 92%. like the saying goes, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. But more importantly, secondly, notice worry reveals a lack of faith. This is where it gets personal. This is where it gets deep. This is where it becomes revealing. We do worry about things. So much so Jesus addressed it here as he's talking about this kingdom. And worry reveals a lack of faith. When you worry, when you become consumed, you're wasting time today. Precious time today today. And you clutter tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. See, worry reveals a lack of faith. And we need to think about that. When we're worried about something, it's not a question of what does that tell us. What that tells us is that we're not believing in God. We have placed our problems in our lap. We've not given them over to God. The Lord says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We just mentioned what Peter wrote, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The question is, do you believe it? Do you really believe it? I think that's why Jesus more often than, uh, I mean more than one occasion would say, oh ye of little faith. Because he can see there's times where that's us. We have little faith. We're trying to take it on ourselves. And when we do that, really what we're acknowledging is we don't believe or our faith is weak. Well, number three, worry affects your relationships. There is a term in psychology that is called stress contamination. It's, and it's kind of what I alluded to earlier When it's not maybe just one big thing, but it's a bunch of little things that becomes a big thing. And so for sure, it's something that is, overwhelms us for years and years. Just confession here. I have been driving set to church separately from my family. And the reason for that is they know that it is best to ignore dad right before he's about to speak because I can be hard to live with. And I'm not the only one. Some of you are like this too. You know, I can get snippy toward my kids. I've got this pressure. I'm worried about it. I'm consumed with it. I wanted to arrive early. They didn't want to arrive early. It just wasn't, it wasn't a good thing. So we are going two different cars. Seeing that to this day, still come in two different cars. It just makes for a happy marriage. But I'm not the only one. You're that way too, right? You've got a big problem at work. You've got this stressor on you. You're worried about it. And sometimes to our, our spouse, our family, our children, we're real quick to bite, bark at them. They didn't do anything wrong. They asked a legitimate question. We're just so consumed with worry it affects our relationships. We're short with having somebody important to dinner. You ever notice that? Somebody important to dinner, you're worried about your kids are going to behave and sometimes you're just real snippy with them. Maybe even talking in a way that's demeaning to them. What's up with that? Is that not just being worried Maybe you worry about a problem that's heavy on you and you, you just lose patience with those closest to you. Worry affects your relationship. And then number four, and you know this one too, worry damages your health. You've heard over and over heart disease and cancer are the two leading causes of death. But In reality, of what we know, it's the calendar, it's the clock, it's the telephone, it's the bank balance. Stress is a legitimate health concern. When the worry begins to beset us, people turn to different forms of escape and that just compounds the problem. And then number five, worry hinders your influence. You want to be a witness for the Lord? Worry doesn't help at all. If people that you're trying to share your faith with, if what they see in you is a worry war, what does that say about your faith? we talked about it reveals a lack of faith. And so when your friends and your neighbors and your family members, they hear you talking about faith in Jesus and coming to church with you, Why would they want to be a part of a life that's so stressful and so filled with worry? I love the phrase in Titus 2 where Paul describes, in every way, make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Think about that. You live your life in a way that makes the teaching of God attractive. And so if you're totally frazzled, if you're worrying like everybody else in the world... You don't have much of a story, much of a testimony, much of an influence. Why would somebody want to come to church with you, believe like you, when you're just so full of worry? But before I leave this point, I want to make you aware, there are some people, I think it's a few, but there are some people who do not worry. It's amazing to see. You know, I think it's a small percentage. They're just so laid back. They just don't get riled up. They never worry about anything. And then maybe even a a smaller percentage of that, there are those people that they don't worry about anything because they just don't care. You know, they're just hard-hearted. They don't care about other people. Instead of worrying, let somebody else deal with it. I love the story. You may have heard it before. There are several men in a locker room at a fitness club. A cell phone was on on the bench there, and it started to ring. So the guy reached down and he, he, he punched speaker on the phone and so everybody could hear the conversation. It was a woman's voice. He said, hello. And then she said, honey, it's me. Are you at the club? He said, yes. She said, well, I'm at the mall now and I found this beautiful leather coat. It's only $1,000. Are you okay with me getting that? He thought for a second and said, sure, go for it. He said, well, I stopped at the Mercedes dealership and they got the new models out and I found one I liked. Everybody's looking at him. What is he going to say? So he said, well, how much is it? $60,000, she said. He said, well, that's okay. Just make sure it has all the options for that price. Then he said, the wife said, great. One more thing. The house we wanted last year, the realtor just called. It's back on the market. They want $950,000 for it. What do you think? He said, I'm glad it's on the market, but don't offer them any more than $900,000. She said, thanks, sweetie. You're the best. I love you. He said, I love you too. Hung up the phone. Everybody's just not doing anything but watching this guy. He picks up the phone. Have you heard this? He said, whose phone is this? There are those people out there. Some people just don't worry. Look back at verses 28 through 30. Why do you worry about your clothes, Jesus says. See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown to the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? He talks about laboring and spinning. What does that mean? Looking back to the culture, of first century men, they would be out laboring, working, and the women, they were spinning their own thread. That was just part of just making the home, just making the world go around. So he was touching on what those people were concerned with, what those people were consumed with. Listen to how the message paraphrase puts these words into our everyday language. Following the statement, you remember about, you know, you can't serve God and mammon, you can't serve God and money, there's obviously a choice there. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. All this time and money wasted on fashion Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out in the fields and look at the wildflowers. Jesus goes on in these next verses and notice the repetition in order to to emphasize and drive home the point. He, He does that throughout his teaching. But look in verse 31 and 32. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Note that phrase, the pagans run after these things. Two observations here. First, Christians should look distinctive from the world. I think that's what he's saying. We aren't chasing after the same thing that everybody else in the world is chasing after. But secondly, that phrase, run after, kind of gives you the idea of an intense pursuit. This is not a casual stroll and you just pick something up off the shelf. This is something you're running after. You're looking for You're hunting it down. You just have to have it. And notice when it comes to living the Christian life, is that a word, a phrase that describes you? John Ortberg says this, You see, for most of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed or preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We'll just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Distracted. Rushed. Preoccupied. We're alive, yes. But are we living? So Jesus was talking about this living in an upside-down kingdom. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 2.11, Yet when I surveyed all my hands had done and what I had told to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. See, maybe the reason Jesus didn't worry. See, he didn't, did he? Jesus was not a worrier. But think about it. Do you ever remember a time where Jesus was in a hurry? Was he ever rushing? I I couldn't think of a single time in Scripture he cared about people more than clothing and social status and food or drink. He didn't consider people coming up to him as interruptions in his schedule, but opportunities to connect with what mattered most. The closest we ever see to God being in a hurry is in the parable of the prodigal son when the son is coming home. And the father in that story representing God runs to meet him. And that, of course, is so different than the things that we're running after, that we're in a hurry, that we're rushing. I thought about this and I thought sometimes when I'm driving down the road, I'll catch myself going a little faster than the speed limit. It's a rare occasion. It does happen. But I asked myself, if I were to stop and get a ticket, would it be worth it? Is it worth two, three, four hundred dollars, or however much they're charging? I wouldn't know. But we're in a rush. Go, go, go. We talked about the commands: do not worry. The reasons not to worry. How do we overcome? Again, it's not just saying the words, I'm not going to worry. You don't just decide one day and just stop worrying. Jesus tells us the remedy for worry, the antithesis, the opposite, is placing our trust in the Lord. Look there in verse 33 and 34, maybe the best known uh, of the passages in all the New Testament. But seek first his kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What are you running after is what He's asking. What are you pursuing? What are you chasing? What's your driving for? He says it should be this upside-down kingdom. Seek first His kingdom, His righteousness. And when Jesus becomes the focus... The rush, the hurry, it fades. So I think Jesus has given us three step, a three step remedy here. The first is this you focus on the eternal, not the temporary. And I will say this over and over again, but it's true. Have you noticed even in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus keeps circling back to this? This concept, focus on the eternal, not the temporary. Seek His kingdom, not your kingdom. Instead of chasing clothes and, and food and stuff, money, you seek God. You chase after more important things. Righteous living, eternal life, serving others. These are the things that we should be in a hurry to accomplish. These are the things we be, should be rushing to But just like the world, we can be very carnal at times. Remember the scene in Luke 10, 41, when Jesus gently chides Martha because she's upset about her sister Mary who won't help, who won't help with the work. Remember what Jesus says? Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset over many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. She had an eternal perspective. Let the food wait. Here's the second part of the remedy. Live one day at a time. Live one day at a time. That's tough. But Jesus is so practical in His advice. When you really read through the summer on the Mount, it will turn it upside down. Your whole way of thinking. It is so revolutionary. 2,000 years ago and still today. Don't worry about tomorrow. You live today. You be concerned about today. And I think he had to be smiling when he said every day has enough trouble of its own. I'm going to challenge you this week. Take one day. Just take one day and really live. And just really live. Now maybe for you that needs to be a, a weekday where you're at work, or maybe you need to wait till Saturday, or maybe it needs to be a Sunday. You choose. And I want to challenge you just to pick one day this week and really live. And you know what I mean by that? Look people in the eye. Chew your food. Just eliminate hurry from your life. Don't rush. Don't speed through. Live the day. Stop and sit on the bench. Drink your coffee slowly commune with God and see Him in the morning, in the, in, in the afternoon, in the evening, in the weather, in people, in the circumstances. Let, let your whole day be a prayer. Just stop and live the day. That's what He's saying here. You live the day. So let that be a challenge. And then the final step, part of this remedy, Maybe the hardest one. You trust that truth that your Heavenly Father is in control. You trust the truth that the Heavenly Father is in control. See, deliverance isn't always the answer. The deliverer is the answer. And there's a difference there. But to do that, you've got to have another awareness, an acknowledgement. You need to realize you are a child of God. Did you notice he repeats the phrase, your heavenly father? Jesus doesn't say, my God. He doesn't say, my father. He says, your heavenly father. Why would he choose those words? Your heavenly father is in charge. Paul got that; he understood it. When he was writing his letter to the Philippian church, he said in Philippians four nineteen, "And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus." My God, He's mine. Jesus says, "Your heavenly Father, you are His child. God is in control. God's got it covered. Do not worry." See, anybody can say, "Don't worry." But Jesus is putting it in context here. Your heavenly father's got it covered. One preacher admitted to trying to get his kids to help him with an illustration of worry. And I kind of appreciated this. He, his kids were young at the time, and so he went and asked him. and he said, hey, tell me about a time when y'all were worried about something really big. And then maybe your mom and I came in and we were able to help and, and took your worries away. And they were, I don't know, 6, 18 years old. They thought for a moment and said, I, I don't know, can't remember so he pushed him a little bit more. He said, well, soon there's a time, maybe when you were scared, use that word even. Maybe you were scared, you were worried about something, and you were just really just worried with it, and it was really bothering you, and then maybe your mom and I were able to come in and help. Nothing. He was frustrated because he really needed a, an illustration for a sermon, and then he thought a little bit, wait a minute. Jesus says, do not worry. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need. And He's going to take care of you. What you need to eat, what you wear. He's got you covered every step of the way. So that's the point, isn't it? See, if you have a 6, 810 year old whose parents love them and care for them, that child doesn't stay up late at night worried about they're going to have lunch the next day. They're not worried about what they're going to wear when they get up in the morning. They don't worry about interest rates. They're not worried about who's going to pay the bills. They're just a child. They've got a parent who loves them and is taking care of them. Isn't that the point? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father. What a blessing that you're ours and that you're our Father. But we do confess that we are stressed at times. We are worried. Maybe even we don't say the word. Our focus is not on you. It's on our problems. It's on what seems bigger than life. And Father, we pray that you would calm us. May your presence bring us peace. God, fill us with Your Spirit and allow us to see the big picture, to trust the truth that You are in control. Father, help us to turn everything over to You, to place our trust in You, our Heavenly Father who watches over us. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We can pray for You specifically or if today you're worried about your salvation, once you name the name of Jesus, then wash you clean in baptism. We always have the water ready. Once you come as we stand and sing to encourage you.